Do you think your retirement account in the future will be worth as much as if you were to cash it out by Bitcoin today and wait the same amount of time? Like if you think that you're going to retire in 20 years, whatever is your your investment vehicle, right? If you were going to hold that for 20 years or hold Bitcoin, knowing what you know now, what do you think that Bitcoin will be worth in that same 20 years? And oh, by the way, during that 20 years, you can spend it whenever you want to. It's your money. Hey, everybody. This is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Welcome back to the High Hash Rate Podcast. Um, yo, today we have uh, a fellow podcaster. Uh, in our midst, uh, the flirting with one of the co-hosts of flirting with Bitcoin, uh, podcast, uh, Ian. So Ian, very, very happy to have you here today or tonight, uh, speaking with us on the high hash rate podcast. How you doing? I am doing great. Happy to be here. And yeah, Mike, uh, normally stumbles through those much worse. That, that was one of your better intros, Mike. You know, I normally hate your intros. <laughs> Uh, well, just just you wait, and just you wait. Um, so, Ian, I'm uh, curious about your. You know, we have you on the podcast. You, you have this show that you guys are, you and your wife, right, are doing. Um, and wow, amazing! And I have a lot of questions about uh, this podcast, and sort of wrote some stuff down that I wanted to touch base. But I, I did want to get a little bit into your own background, just for our listeners and for myself even i mean i i think i know a little bit because i listened to your show but i I, i'm curious to how you would introduce yourself oh man um like overall uh, i've been a software engineer for 20 years um before i was officially a software engineer i was in the air force damn you're you're speaking my life story right now yeah it's it's like am i talking to dan now or (laughs) I, uh, I listed in the air force right after high school. Um, and I got stationed at the Pentagon and that's why I ended up in Washington, DC. So I've been a software developer in Washington, DC for the last 20 years. And I've been a Bitcoiner five, six years now, five. Okay. Um, what did you, what did you do in the air force? Were you a computer programmer, uh, when you were in there? Okay. That was my official title. <laughs> what did I've always I've always been curious about this because I've never actually had the chance to talk to somebody who their career um, title in the military was software engineer, computer programmer. Um, what is that actually like? Are you actually coding modern software, or are you just tinkering with some, you know, off the commercial off the shelf uh, equipment that you know has been the company's been out of business for twenty five years? Programming AFN AFN stuff. Yeah. Like Fortran stuff, you know. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question, and you have to keep in mind that I'm 40, so I graduated high school in 2001. Okay, and I'm in the Air Force in 2001. That's the world of me, Air Force programming. Okay, so uh, I got stationed at the Pentagon, 
and I'm like excited, but also it's like, wait a minute, because I go to the Pentagon after 9-11. Again, I graduated in 2001. I go to the Air Force 2001. Yeah. So like I'm, I got, I got stationed at the Pentagon after wow. 9-11 happened. Yo, let's please talk they, about this. They still, <laughs> they still haven't even finished construction of the, <laughs> of that outer wall. Yeah. Like it was, They're still picking it up was crazy, right? Airplane pieces. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um, and, uh, I was 18, 19. Um, so it was, that was crazy. Uh, so that's the world right that i'm coming into and Wait, what uh, date what date did you what what's the date on your enlistment yeah which date did you did you swear in uh, uh i don't i don't you know that what exactly. time of year or the yeah like time of the year like the month the way that i tell everybody is that i got on the plane to go to basic training on the 3rd of july oh wow and it was the whole oh, wow. july yeah see so you were in just fresh out of basic, like six weeks. So fresh out of basic training, you were in tech school, you're learning C plus plus, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, boom, you're, you're in class. Nine eleven, we were in class. You were in yeah. class when that happened. Okay, okay. Yeah, we were in class, and they came in, and they basically like what I heard stories of what people were in school for real, right? But like they came in, they said, you know, something happened. They brought us in another room. There's a TV on. And like, you know, we see the second plane hit, like a lot of people, I think, experienced 9-11 that way. Um, but no, I was in a military uniform. Like, that's the only difference between my story and a lot of other people's story. And so it's like, okay, what does that mean now? Like, uh, you know, I'd been, to your point, Dan, I'd been in tech school for a couple of weeks when that happened. And so like, you, this is like this is like 2001 so the, you probably wouldn't have thought immediately to google it but maybe go to uh infoseek or excite.com and and search do computer yeah. programmers have to go to afghanistan when there's a war <laughs> yeah and so like that was the question that i got from most of my friends and family <laughs> and i was like that's not really how the air force works we send the officers to go fight and uh uh, but that's, so that's like the world, right? Um, and so when I get to the Pentagon, because the world is kind of crazy at the moment, um, I got, I got sent to the wrong office first. And so for like the first, like I'll say month or two, I was literally in a room flashing hard drives for the computers because computers were new. We're going into the Pentagon. <laughs> wow. Then someone figured out, wait a minute, you're not in the right job or the right duty location. And I got to my actual office, which was not the Pentagon. It was an office in Roslyn, which is a, a town right outside of DC. Um, and yeah, we were building web pages. Cool. So you were building psyops is what you're doing. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I don't even think you could call this psyops um yeah it was it was weird but again keep in mind the time frame the way i like to sure. tell everybody like what i worked on is that uh the first product i worked on was this like air force art website where they were putting all the art that's like in on different air force bases online you like buy copies of it or whatever so i tell everybody yeah i worked on instagram before instagram existed right <laughs> uh and then the second project what were, 
well, it's during fun. during Operation Enduring Freedom. I was <laughs> building art web art web pages. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. This is exactly this is exactly my story, right? Uh, the second thing that I worked on was a, a website called Pass, and that was like a scheduling system for officers. And so I just tell everybody I built Google Google Calendar for Google Calendar. There you go. Right. Um, and yeah, so like a lot of things that we all take for granted today didn't exist. And they were literally just hiring contractors to build these things for them. Mm. And then in my office, we got, we got, cause we were military, we got put in groups with contractors to build things. That's interesting. Um, so what did, what did you, what kind of software, what the industry did you work in when you got out of the military? Um, How's that? How'd your career go from there? Yeah. So, uh, again, 9 11 just happened. So, uh, everyone got clearances. They ran background checks on everybody. That's right. So, when I got out of the Air Force, I had a top secret clearance. And if you have a top secret clearance in Washington, D.C., that's like you, you have a that's job, your ticket. Yeah. Right. That, you don't have to go to college, you, you have a job. Um, so I worked like two jobs, uh, that would be considered cleared work, but again, was just building websites. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I was, when I, I was, I had one of those top secret clearances, uh, when I was in and we had like our own, um, you know, you had limited access to it. Um, but it was like your own, it's called Sippernet. It was, you know, the secret internet. It was this, you know, internet that you had to be in a military building. Uh, with special, you know, access key cards and all that, and you could access all kinds of information about, uh, you know, intelligence reports and just other information, other news that uh, you were probably helping build the infrastructure for that. Um, it's interesting. Zippernet existed when I got there, okay. Um, but the building of things on that network is what I was doing. They, it was running on Netscape Navigator still, or Prodigy when you got there. Yeah, I was definitely. Yeah. Definitely using Internet Explorer. We upgraded. Did you? It's crazy to think. What, what did you notice about the vibe of everyone during that time? Like you're saying, you weren't working directly in the Pentagon, but then you were. Or I never worked in the Pentagon. In the Pentagon directly. But so yeah, either way, the what was? I mean, you rarely get to talk to somebody who was in the military and joined so quickly right before this all transpired, and just. The atmosphere, especially around your peers, of a bunch of new people um, in the Air Force, where people are like, oh, I regret my decision, or like, oh shit, I'm so happy, let's go. Uh, that's a great question. I would say, I, I would say the biggest thing I remember, or the most common thing that I remember was just like shock, like disbelief, because most of us enlisted or decided to go into the military basically during peacetime and right when hmm. like when they brought us in to show us the television like something happened uh literally how you moved around the base changed mm. that day so like we it's a funny story but it's not a funny story um Earlier in the year, when we first were in class, one of my classmates ran a script, right? Uh, He was like a computer programmer before he got there, you know, like a a script kitty or whatever. He was like hacking the Windows network. 
and he sent a message out to our classroom, right? It was like raw or something like that. Uh, what he didn't know when he did that is that it went out to the whole base. Oh, wow. So the colonel on base, which is like the leader of the base, rawr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my buddy, whose name I will not say, uh, got in trouble, right? He was in some serious trouble. So trouble's over. He's like repented, you know, yada, yada, yada. And we're sitting in class and something all pops up on our screen again. And we all turned and looked at him and was like, really, dude? And he's like, it's not me. And then we all read it and it basically said, like, we're at war. And then they came in and said, come into this other room and watch the television, right? So, like, the vibe of the whole base, that message, just like his message, went out to every computer on the base saying FP Con Delta, like, shut it down, lock it down, yada, yada, yada. So, like, just like that, what you signed up for is no longer what you're you're in for. Um, we had like, so that's what I remember the most is just that stark change in reality. And then for myself getting actually sent to the Pentagon as my duty assignment, like everybody that I came to there or everybody that was there when I got there, they were there when that happened. So I don't know what they were like beforehand, but, uh, I know at least one of my friends or coworkers became a friend, like he was definitely very depressed. Hmm. Right. Right. It's uh, one of the one of the key things that I remember going through, kind of personally and mentally around that time. So basic training in tech school, maybe even a little bit beyond, was as an eighteen year old. It, this was the first time in my life that I couldn't, you know, if I did something illegal or, or got in trouble, it wasn't a juvenile court or it wasn't juvie that I would get up sent to. It was my parents couldn't come and sign, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a letter, and then you know the principal would let let me go home and to be punished by my parents, right? Like I, they couldn't get me out of trouble. It was the first time where I'm like, oh shit, I'm an adult, and like now I'm in the military, and like if I don't if I don't follow orders or something gets screwed up, like they could throw me in the brig, they could send me to war. Then this it doesn't matter if I want to go or not. Like it's not in my control anymore. You'll be one of these I, dudes in the orange jumpsuits walking around base. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's, and it's not that I would have been necessarily like, Oh, I regret my decision if I had gone through the same thing you did, but it would just be like, Oh, I did not expect to have to confront this reality. Uh, when I signed up, even though I, you know, I should have, it was just, wasn't a realistic, uh, risk in my, in my assessment. So, with that in mind, did you experience similar thoughts and just how did that, uh, did it cause you to rapidly grow up, um, in a short amount of time with, you know, all that going on? Uh, yes. So after that happened and I got to DC and I got to my right office and we were like, you know, kind of like in the the day-to-day -day of it. Um, it was not, and I, and I, it's weird to say this out loud, but like I never felt like I was at war, mm -hmm. right? 
you felt detached from that element of it. Very, very detached. Sure. And because of that, like I kind of lived, I want to say a normal life, mm-hmm. but like compared to like other people in the military, like if you were on Fort Bragg, like, yeah. you're in the military, you're going to go do something. We don't even know what yet. Right. Yeah. Um, so for me, like my life didn't really change. Most of the people that I worked with in DC, like their lives didn't objectively change. It was again, shocking. Yes. But nobody really went off to war. And I remember like we were all getting lunch one day and we were like talking about this. And you know, when I said earlier, like we send our officers off to fight, right? Like in the air force, it's like, yeah, if you just enlisted, you're not really expected to fight anyway. Like Mm -hmm. we have officers in multi-million dollar aircrafts that Mm -hmm. are the air force and everything is to support that plane. Right. And all of the support, like we're at the back of the supply lines. We're back home. Making websites. Capital (laughs) of the country that we're defending. Right. Like that's, we are at the back of the supply line. Sure. Um, And like when I, when I was jokingly saying that, or I was like making that analogy, everyone just kind of looked around and was like, oh yeah, like, we're in and there's like be you know be on alert all the time but it's like yeah but there's like five guys with machine guns over there like they're paid to be on alert i'm gonna go buy some (laughs) video games right like i'm gonna go be like a kid with money right like i'm still gonna live that life um but like as an adult adult now like i'm 41 now looking back on that uh absolutely like I would say the biggest thing that that caused and a lot of people that were probably my age, like just out of high school or maybe a couple of years out of high school, it either like broke you and you just got really depressed or you grew up really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I'm just on the grew up really fast side, but I, I know for a fact that I was working with a couple of people that, you know, it, it, it broke them. This, That's a, this this brings to mind a question about, um, so when I was in, I had a very different job than both of you. I was a, I mean, I've mentioned this, but I, I was a um, utility systems, so I was a plumber. So I, I, I did, you know, deploy overseas and, and got to see some stuff, but what I saw was very different than what um, I'd imagined I'd see. So I thought I was going to see war. What I did see was waste. I saw yeah, waste, sure. fraud, and abuse. That's what I saw. <laughs> you know, all the things they tell you not to do. Um, and really, that gave me gave me sort of a, you know, before obviously before Bitcoin or or understanding anything about how the monetary system works, uh, it gave me an insight as to what we're doing. You know, how the sausage is made, like how how the whole thing is is happening. And I'm curious as if you have. Um, if you have any sort of insight on that from your military experience, like like the fiat world, basically. Were you guys splurging on those T3 line internet? Uh, <laughs> Probably. Um, I definitely saw waste um, for sure. Like that's like, I, I don't think you're going to be anywhere in that industry and not see waste. Um, Again, when I first got there, that first job I was at flashing hard drives, um, there was like rooms upon rooms upon rooms of computers. And 
Like they were basically just open. Like I would, I wouldn't say that people were stealing because stealing implies that someone was trying to like keep you from taking it. Mm -hmm. They were just like out in the open. And if you had a computer that needed Ram, you'd see people just like plucking Ram out. Like, like huh. it's just going to sit the there. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so like I saw a lot of that. Um, but to your point about like seeing how the sausage is made, um, I don't think I really saw that when I was at the Pentagon. I saw a lot of that when I got out of the Air Force mm. and I was working as a contractor. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Um, and then after a contract, I was a contractor for like seven or eight years. And then I left that world and went into the startup world. Um, because of all the waste, right? Yeah. It was just like uh, my one of my friends who I used to work with, he loves to tell this story about how I like broke down for him how much money we were spending on this website that we were building that literally like five people were using. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he'll he'll always be like, I'll never forget that day when Ian just like told me that my job was pointless. <laughs> yeah, it's it's true, man. It's like and like, I wasn't trying to tell him his job was pointless. I was just trying to make the case for why we didn't need to like be so stressed out about fixing something. You know, <laughs> like I was like, it's broken. Oh well. <laughs> sometime in the next month, some yeah. sometime in the next month, somebody will try to look at a picture or something and and be like, hey, the, you know, this yeah. is slow. But I will say that like, just overall, um, being in D.C. has exposed me to like different versions of waste yeah right whether it's the military waste government waste yeah can you expand upon that a bit um well and i was getting to the last one which is like startup culture waste right? okay yeah 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 it's all that it's it's i think as as bitcoiners we'll all we'll all come to this conclusion and say well like it's all fake money which is why no one cares about anything, right? Um, but it took me like seeing it in various forms to to really say like, oh wait, that's just how it is. Like it's not that the military is wasteful or that the government is wasteful or that the incentives. It's all the incentives, right? Yeah, it's the system. And um I just saw it in so many different ways that like even in my current job, which I won't really get into too much, but like I see things as waste and they, people see things as like doing, that's the cost of doing business. Right. Um, and so we live in this world where, well, it's not your money, right? Like you're just a customer support person. So it's not your money. You don't care. And if you just work that logic all the way up the stack, it's nobody's money, so nobody cares. Right. Problem of the commons. Yeah. Tragedy so, of the commons. It's it's totally that. And I remember when I was first getting into Bitcoin and I was like listening to whoever I was listening to. I don't even remember who I was listening to in the beginning. Probably uh Let's stop, let's pa let's pause there for a second. And I was gonna fast forward from these Air Force uh, conversations to when you it was that you kind of discovered Bitcoin or when you had your maybe your first touch point or when you first started to get interested. When was that? About five. You mentioned like five years ago. 
Uh, well, technically, this is like the best part of my Bitcoin story. I feel like okay is so I was a contractor, and then I was working in the startup world. But I had like a year where I was basically trying to do my own startup, and I was pursuing a comedy career. And I was running a, a comedy room in DC. I was doing all these things, right? And somehow I get put in touch with this kid. He's like a he's a he's a kid in DC. I think I knew his stepfather from like the bar or something. But I end up knowing this kid and uh like trying to help him like set up his clothing. Like he didn't know how to like get on the internet, basically, right? Um, so I was helping him do all of that. And he was the first person who ever told me about Bitcoin. And, you know, I was probably like 30-ish at the time. It was like 2012, 2013. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like 10 years ago. And he was like 18, like 17, 18, 19. And he was telling me that he was down at the Occupy Wall Street protest. And that's where he heard about Bitcoin. And I was like, oh, yeah, those protests that I didn't have time to go to because I had a job, right? Like, there were people who did have jobs because of 08, and there were people who did have jobs because we were contractors for the federal government who always has infinite money. Um, so he was the first person who told me about Bitcoin, and he explained it to me, and I 100% had the, like, non-Bitcoiner response, that's never going to work. They'll shut it down. Every piece of FUD that we've heard, I definitely said. And I always like like to own up to that. But uh, that kid at that time had Bitcoin. And he had, I don't know how many of them, but I, I think he was smart enough to understand what he had and held on to it. I don't know how to get in touch with them. You know, whatever. Like, it's been years later. But like, he was the first person who ever told me about Bitcoin. And I remember my reaction to it was like, you stupid kid, you think that's going to work? I'm 30. I know how the world works. Let me tell you why that thing is not going to work. That was my first touch point. And I like to always own up to that. That kid was Jack Maulers. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for that. Um, this, is, this is an interesting point because my t first touch point was also from a kid uh, that went to Occupy Wall Street. So I guess there was a lot of Occupy, a lot of Bitcoin talk in Occupy Wall Street, or maybe there was. And I was a kid at at Occupy Wall Street. I wasn't in New York. I went to some of the stuff in Denver. Oh, did you like lay on the ground and shit? Like I, I did. No, as soon, no, as soon as they as soon as they started sp uh, pepper spraying and uh, tear gassing, we went to the bar. <laughs> I was like, I right, signed up not, for that. I'm not doing this. Um. But yeah, uh, that was my first touch point. And to your point about there was a lot of talk about Bitcoin at Occupy Wall Street. Um, from the way that he was describing it to me, 100%, because I think, and Dan, you can corroborate this maybe. I don't know if this was going on at your protest, but like what this kid was saying was that I'm down here to protest. I know something's wrong but I don't know what the problem is. And so there were people like explaining to him the monetary system, explaining to him the problem. And within that, just like a Bitcoiner would, and here's a possible solution. Right. Yeah. And so the way he described to me was like, 
I didn't know what I was protesting. I just knew that something was wrong and I got educated down there. And that's, you know, that's why Bitcoin. And I was like, well, let me educate you. This isn't going to work. Right. Um, obviously he was right. Uh, and you know, the rest is history, but I always remember that conversation because the deeper I get into Bitcoin, it's like, I hear what he was saying, you know, and that's kind of weird because it's very rare in my life that it's someone younger than me that was trying to teach me something that I didn't understand. That's just not my role. You know, like I don't learn from kids, but like in that scenario, like a 17, 18 year old was teaching a 30 year old, like, Hey man, the monetary system is messed up. And I was the yuppie elite at the time being like, nah, it'll be fine. We don't need that. <laughs> right. Like that's literally what happened. And that's what's um, happening now is the older generations are looking back like, all right, kids, it, yeah. it's cute, but it's not, it's not going to solve the problem. Uh, um, but then after that, uh, it was one of my coworkers at the first startup that I worked at. And she was trying to explain to me Bitcoin or she was asking me my opinion about Bitcoin. And I definitely understood more at the time, but I, and I, I like to own up to my mistakes. You know, I was, I literally, these words came out of my mouth. Yeah. Bitcoin. Uh, but like Ethereum seems like it's going <laughs> to be like the, the AWS, the decentralized AWS. Right. I said this, I'll own it. Yeah. Um, and that was just my non-researching Bitcoin reaction. Like I was acknowledging that, well, this thing is still around, so it must be working. Um, but then my third time was the one that really forced me to like, look at it and say, wait a minute, if that's true, like this is crazy. And so one of my coworkers came in, asked me about Bitcoin and uh i was like you know it'd be really cool what would be really cool is like if i could convert my dollars into bitcoin fire the bitcoin to someone else and convert that bitcoin into like euros like you could do that with bitcoin like that would be great and then i literally go home and that was the day i found out about strike hmm. and so i went into work and i was like hey man like, I think this Bitcoin thing is real. And I actually drew like a diagram for him, trying to explain it to him. And I wish I had that diagram. Oh, yeah. Because what I was explaining to him was like, it just created an infinite flywheel for technological innovation. You need the cheapest energy, right? Eventually we'll find the cheapest energy. All right, fine. You need the most power efficient processors. Eventually we'll hit some limit there. And then you need like faster internet communications and eventually we'll hit some wall there. But at each cycle, there's always some incentive to improve on one of those three things. And that was the moment that I was like, I got to start like, I got to start looking at this. Like, this is crazy. And Everything else from there is leads me to talking to you guys on this podcast. I've just been so not a little detoured yeah. in crypto, but like I've been Bitcoin sure, only sure. for you know when since that conversation from the from the day you found out about Strike to when you started your podcast. What was that? What was that like? How long did that take? What was your journey? Did you were you one of those people that just got sucked in 
uh, super quickly or was it kind of a slow evolution? So as we were discussing before the show, but um, the podcast is my wife's idea. So the podcast doesn't start until two two years ago. How did you how did how quickly did she jump on the Bitcoin bandwagon? Did it take some time, or was she the first okay. year of the podcast? <laughs> oh, okay, okay, right? Right. yeah. That's an interesting um, story I want to get into for sure. Yeah. But uh, from finding out about Strike, uh, what was I? I was I was working there for only one year, so. Okay. And then I've been here for four years. So it was like four years to the podcast. Okay. Um, and yeah, and then we've been in, yeah, that that's roughly it. Like it's been four years to so, the podcast and then two years of the podcast is my six years of so you, Bitcoin. So you joined the Air Force right before 9-11 and then you got really into Bitcoin right before COVID and the money printer just going burr. Yes. And so- I know this is the unpopular opinion, but COVID was great for me. <laughs> I was able to, to sit in a room and just watch YouTube. And while other people were watching reality TV, I was just grinding on not just Bitcoin. Like there's some other rabbit holes that I have gone down yeah. that are very, uh, very interesting. Um, but for the Bitcoin one, it just sent me down so many things. Like I've learned so much about things that are not necessarily Bitcoin related, like Austrian economics, right? Or uh, praxeology or uh, uh, literally the energy market, right? Like all <laughs> these things. How, like, how it works, how everything works. How everything works. And uh, I got to send you this like book really by Carlo Rovelli. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. Anyway, sorry. Is that a his side joke? No, no. Very, kind of. It's a it's a it's a book about energy and it's a, it's a book about energy and time that it just blew my mind and I can't stop thinking about it. And it sounds like something. Yeah. What's the name of that? I have that book. <laughs> Is that uh Civilization and Energy? Or no, it's uh the The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. Uh, okay. I have it. Wait. All right, go ahead, sir. Um. Uh, well, I have a book about energy and how uh, you can map civilization to the ability to harness a certain amount of energy. Nice. Right. And uh, it's a very dense, like every sentence is like packed with like so much information. It's very, very meaty to read. Um, but it sounds same, like something same, I like. Like, like I, I was reading that book being like, yeah, this is how we should teach the world. Like, this is how you explain. Like, this is the information that I always felt like I was missing in school. Like, that's what Bitcoin has really exposed me to. All the things that I was just like, yeah, okay. America was founded in 1776. Like, that's great. Like, remembering dates is, we're waste, that's easy. We're, it's, it goes back to waste. We're wasting our time chasing yes. these frivolous, inf you know, information. Just we're chasing noise, not signal. Yes. And so that's my... That's why I say COVID was beneficial to me. Like yep. I was able to just get exposed to so much. Yeah, I think that um, I would not have had the time. Yeah, to I do that. I think that we've had a problem that I just kind of mentioned of the of wasting time and wasting time uh, specifically. Like when you, you mentioned, like dates, like history, we're chasing um, or wasting time 
focusing on narratives. And but that's at the same time that kind of when you understand that it makes it clear kind of like how society learns, how how people's attentions are are uh, focused. And I think part of the uh, reason I'm very bullish on Bitcoin, especially now, is that it's becoming so central to the narrative of everything and the conversation in financial media, plot, politics, everything. Like Bitcoin is establishing itself as have, uh, being one of the most interesting and intriguing narratives. And if people are going to, you know, go down rabbit holes and, ch and chase narratives, um, I think that that's a good way for them to get into Bitcoin. And then they can start to learn some of the things that you learned, some things that I've learned since getting into it about the importance of, of energy and efficiency and, and good management of your time. And they can start their own Bitcoin podcasts, like all of us <laughs> have been doing. Right. Yeah. So how, yeah, how, love. How, how did you, uh, how did that end up happening? Tell, tell us that story. So again, COVID gave me a lot of time to go down a lot of rabbit holes and Bitcoin rabbit hole just held my attention the most. Um, and so I have a couple of really smart friends, right? And I'm like, I learned something really, really interesting and I want to tell my friends about it. And I was like having multi-hour conversations, one-on-one -on -one conversations at night. And my wife was like, um, you need to hang out with me. <laughs> and she knew I was like getting really, really into it, but she was very adamant that it was not an efficient use of my time to have these one-on-one -on -one conversations. She was like, we should do a podcast where like you teach me Bitcoin and then you don't have to have the same conversation 10 times. Like we'll just tell people to listen to your podcast. And I, as a person who used to run a comedy show, a weekly comedy show, I was like, I have no intention of doing a weekly podcast or any interval pod. Like I do not, I said no for like two months and she just kept like, she was like, I'm, you're going to do it and I'm going to come with a great name and you're going to love it. And I was like, all right, well, when you have the name, you know, we'll, we'll discuss. And until you have a name, like I'm not doing it. And then I forget if it was. I feel like it was a morning thing. Like she came downstairs in the morning. It was just like flirting with Bitcoin and you know, all right, let's <laughs> find it. I still, I totally knew the whole theme and the branding and everything that she would want to do. Like all she had to say was flirting with Bitcoin and the rest was just like, I, my brain filled in the blanks. I was like, let's go. That's actually, that's actually really cool uh, that she took that approach and was like so supportive of that. Yeah. I think and it's, this is, a little bit of a downer thing, but I've you talk to some uh, Bitcoiners and they they mention that their spouse or their partner is just not interested. Sometimes it causes problems in the relationship because like you you you're having these conversations with like, he needs to hang out with me, and sometimes people just they don't talk about it at all with their with their partner. And I think that um, it's such a when you get down the rabbit hole, it's such a obsession. It's such a central point of your life that it's important that you share that. Um, and it's cool that, you know, she didn't at first really get it. She was just like, I, he's going, he's learning, he's reading these giant books. He's going down different rabbit holes every other week. But, um, this one seems to be sticking. So I want to, let's, let's learn about, let's talk about it. Yeah. She, um, my wife is very supportive. Um, I think I could bring her anything. And if I was excited enough about it, she would support it. Um, 
But I had gone down some other rabbit holes and established that, like, I only bring you relatively concrete things, Mm -hmm. right? They might be new ideas, but if you consume the same information that I consume in the same order, you'll probably come to the same conclusion. So the way that we discuss things is, is I'll say something like, this isn't as big as electric universe right or this is bigger than electric universe and like that's that's like our barometer and so for bitcoin i was like this is way bigger than electric universe (laughs) electric universe plays into it there's a piece of that rabbit hole that i think definitely plays into bitcoin but i was like if if what these guys are saying is true and i believe it is then for lack of a better term like we got to get to Bitcoin Island. Like we got to get there. And, you know, on the pod, we talk about how I like close out my retirement account. I close out all my trading accounts. Like I'm pushed all the cash that I had into Bitcoin. And I was like, I know it's going to happen at some point. And uh, can, yeah, can you actually kind of explain to the audience, our audience, what you explained to her on that episode? When she was talking about, you know, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't close my retirement account and put it, put it in Bitcoin. And it was, and you, she was thinking like, you know, is it, uh, is it the right thing to do? And you kind of, you said you're asking the wrong question. And what was the, the question that people should be asking? Yeah. So what I said to her was, do you think your retirement account in the future will be worth as much as if you were to cash it out by Bitcoin today and wait the same amount of time. Like if you think that you're going to retire in 20 years, okay. If you have insert amount of dollars in a retirement account, you got a Vanguard, some ETFs, yeah, yeah. 500, some gold, whatever you have, whatever is your, your investment vehicle, right? If you were going to hold that for 20 years, or hold Bitcoin, knowing what you know now, what do you think that Bitcoin will be worth in that same 20 years? And oh, by the way, during that 20 years, you can spend it whenever you want to. It's your money. You're not waiting until some magical date that the government has decided and will probably change over the next 20 years. So it'll probably be more like 22 years. Uh, Which do you think will be worth more in the future? And, you know, I didn't say it on the pod per se, but like off camera, it's also like, but you don't, it doesn't really matter what you say. It's, it's your actions. Your actions tell me what you believe. Cause if you truly believed it, like I believed it, you'd have already pushed all in on the other side and say like, why do we have dollars unless we need to pay a bill? Um, and that's still her journey to be on. Sure. Like I'm not really pushing that, but there's always like a teachable moment to just remind her that there is an alternative um, or like with friends and family, there's always a teachable moment where you can say uh, uh, like my neighbor, right? Two houses down, somebody's trying to sell their house. It didn't sell. And he was like telling me about the guy's situation. He's like, yeah, he owns the house outright. And you know, he was just trying to get too much for it. Da, 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 da. And I was like, yeah, but, he doesn't know what to do when he gets all that money. He's probably got a plan 
But if he doesn't know about Bitcoin, there's no plan that he can pick that's going to be successful. Doesn't matter what you do with the money. But what I can tell, what I said to him, I was like, but what I can tell him is that if you take a cut, you know, like let's say you only sell it for 50% of what you're selling it for now, buy Bitcoin with it and wait five years, you might recoup what you missed out when you were trying to get the most out of selling your house that you have to pay fees to sell and you're scaring away buyers because uh, you've priced it too high. And while you're not selling it, you still have to keep paying for it and maintaining it, right? Like you're, there's a maintenance cost to this house. What is all that worth to you? Like these are the things that I think people don't really think about until they get in a situation where they just feel stuck. And it's like, you're used to playing this game where I got to get the most out of every transaction. And you know that that's what you need to do, but you don't stop and think about why that is. Ooh, that's a really good, really good point that you just made there. And we have this system where, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a person who bought a house 10 years ago and your house is appreciated, like these houses in my neighborhood are up like 10 X almost on some of these. Right. Okay. We all look at that person and say, Oh, congratulations. You're so lucky. Or maybe you're a good investor or whatever. Right. But for everyone else, it's like, well, I can't afford that house now. So it's like a lose to lose loot or it's a right. lose situation. But if we were to describe that same situation equally, we would say, Oh, all of our money is worthless. <laughs> right. Right. Like we're all in the same boat. You also have a house that costs more dollars, but all of our money is worthless. Mm -hmm. That's why your house is worth like if we kind of talked about it as like we're all in the same struggle versus there are some people who are benefiting from owning houses and assets and there's some people that aren't, we wouldn't have this other class. We would just have, well, I can't make the money. Can you make the money? Who's making the money? That's the person we should focus on. What's uh, you mentioned? You know, she still hesitated on the um, the retirement is just like an example of she's got some doubts. Everybody's got some doubts. We all have doubts. But uh, what do you think the hang up is? What do you think she's uh, still not quite grokking, or maybe she's still worried the the government's going to shut it down or something? Right? It's just paperwork. It's just paperwork. Literally, like. It's just paperwork. If she could click a button after yeah. I made the comment, she would probably click the button. Sure, right? sure. I that's think fun. that's that's what's holding her back is the paperwork of it all. But because there's paperwork, every time I make the comment, it's not like something that's immediately actionable. You still sure. have to always go do the paperwork. Because um, that's the old system. Everything right. takes forever. And so for me, like the way that I ended up cashing all that stuff out was literally on a screw this, I'm getting out moment. And I did all the paperwork to get out because I was frustrated, right? How did you write and it? So. What were your hesitations? Okay, so uh, I used to be a stock trader. Not a great one, not even a good one, but I used to <laughs> trade stocks. <laughs> and uh, primarily I was trading Tesla. I would say 90% of my trades were Tesla related. I've been following Tesla since before they had the Model S. I know almost every piece of history of that company. 
Um, I know every time in hindsight now, but every time they were sandbagging, I could tell you probably everything about Tesla up until 2021, 2022. Um, but what made me have that moment of like, screw it, I'm out is not technically Elon buying Twitter, right? But the, the, um, Michael Saylor was doing a talk and he laid out like the hundred or the 50 like risks of a company that Bitcoin doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) it doesn't matter how well I follow Tesla. Like I'll never benefit. Stocks are just too risky benefit. And so he gave that, like, I don't remember the order, but basically like in a short period of time, Tesla, like either sold some shares or did a stock split. Michael Saylor said that, and I think like Tesla had like a crazy blowout quarter and the price fell like 30%. And I was just like, I'm out. Like I've been doing my homework. I hate doing homework. I've been doing my homework and I'm losing money. I'm just pushing it all into Bitcoin. I'll wait. All right. I'm not risk. I'm not risking the system anymore. And, uh, and so for me, one of my friends that I've been trying to explain Bitcoin to who he's the guy who taught me how to trade, you know? And so I've slowly been like slow dripping him. I've been trying to pull him into Bitcoin for a while. And, uh, it was, I'll say it wasn't until this year that he, he's starting to get what I've been saying. And he's starting to, I think, come to the same conclusion that I came to, which is, yeah, I might be a really good trader, but like some crazy externality can affect one of these companies and just blow my trade out. And if you have the capital, you can move your trades around and, you know, fix yourself. But this is very capital intensive. And again, you can't, you can't buy food with shares of Apple. You know, I can buy food with Bitcoin um, and I can spend it whenever I want to. And there's no extra rules on my money. Right. And on top of that, the most important thing to me, at least, is come and take it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the only thing they can't take from us. So and even if you why I play are a good trader, in. you know, even if you are a good trader, you're still getting debased anyway. Exactly. Yeah, these yeah. are all fiat fiat instruments anyway. Yeah, the stock, the company could just issue more shares. Exactly. So, yeah. the come and take it aspect is my uh, my angry side, right? Yeah. Like, well, you know what? I don't even think that a lot of when people th- think about that come and take it, right? It's they think the government's showing up to um, take your Bitcoin, but really. They're already taking your money. They don't have to come to your house. They just plant it and they take your savings. They don't. They exactly. are already coming to take your money. Exactly. If you have Bitcoin, they have to actually send people out, and it's you know, it's it's maybe Make they maybe the they will work. do that, but you know, they, the government seems pretty lazy lately. So I don't know that they're going to do it. At least not uh, this this current you know iteration. Yeah, this, this, these guys are not doing that. Um, but no, I, I, the come and take it to me is more along the lines of once you kind of understand everything and you, you fully process it, 
there's literally nowhere on the planet that you can go that's not taxed. Right. Right. Like if you, even if you want to, if you want to stay in the States and then find a, a plot of land and just, I don't need anything. I'll build my houses out of the trees that are on my land. They're still going to tax you yearly for your land. Mm -hmm. So there's nowhere that you can accrue wealth that someone isn't taking it from you. They're taking it. And to me, Bitcoin is come take it. It's not property that you're, you can't property tax it. It's not your that, property. It's not in the United States. On, like as you describe on your podcast too, it's it's that plot of, it's that Bitcoin island as you describe. You know, it's that yeah, plot of land that no one's taxing away. Bitcoin Island, I think, uh is such a great metaphor that I'm really I might put that on a shirt or something like that. Like to that that should be like part of our podcast branding, I feel like. Yeah. But like Bitcoin Island is a is a mindset that you can't understand the concept of Bitcoin Island until you understand Bitcoin. And the main concept of Bitcoin Island is that technically, if only people who have Bitcoin are allowed on the island, there's enough room for everybody. Yeah. And you know, uh, you have to buy the Bitcoin. An island, an island's a great place to build a citadel. Is there? Yeah. I don't know if these citadel things are going to work out. I think it's I think it's metaphoric, you know. I think it's just kind of like this is my this is my Bitcoin island. This is my uh, my tribe, my community, uh, the 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 little piece of utopia that I can try to build for myself. Yeah, I will say that uh, one of those rabbit holes that I've gone down leads me to believe that uh, those used to exist. I think they will exist again. I think it'll be like Star they, Wars, bro. I think it's going to be like... I think, I think they will exist again. I think that's And I think the fact that there's... Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I think that's kind of where we're trending towards. Kind of we're trending away from this globalization, centralization, and, and more into a decentralized, uh, more, you know... Decentralized governance in a way. Yeah. More self-regions. Yeah. Self-responsibility and kind of building your own uh, place in the world. Yeah, that's that's really what I think is is it's already happening mm -hmm. in in various ways. There's like clues. Um, I think the biggest clue that we see right now is the outflow of people from California. Yeah, uh, I need to get on that train. <laughs> people, people will people will put up a, with a lot for good weather. Oh, for sure. Any, for amenities, I will say, yeah, right? People will right. put up with a lot for amenities, but even the amenities now, people are still like, mm -mm. and the problem is that we don't really have alternatives, right? It's just, where do you want a different version of this kind of messed up system? <laughs> and it's a lot of paper. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of and effort. It's a lot of paperwork, <laughs> right? It's a lot of paperwork. And so people, for the most part, don't move. Yeah. Um, but humanity is a migratory species. That's right. Like the only thing that's constant is change. Right. And like settlements and, you know, they follow the energy. lifestyle. We follow the energy and the animals follow the energy and we follow the condensed energy. Right. Yep. Um, and then we just one time we got 
lazy or maybe we've got creative and said, what if we just kept all the energy here? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. on a wall. I can conserve I this. Walk. I can conserve this better. <laughs> um, but I, I really think that the, the Citadel, uh, maybe we will see them, but I think on a long enough timeline, we have to trend that way. Otherwise, we end up with World War Five, Six, Seven, Eight, Nine. Like you never heard about. Well, I mean, England did do a lot of damage, but like you never heard about uh, Poland and India fighting, right? Right? <laughs> They're not neighbors. <laughs> they don't care about each other. Get along with your neighbors. Um. So yeah, I think I think that uh, citadels on a longer timeline will definitely be the way of the future uh, with just cool tech. Hopefully we don't have to blow everything up to get there. At least not literally, maybe metaphorically we should do a little bit blowing things up, but yes, definitely not literally. Definitely not literally. I will pass on that. Uh, sort of, are you, are you going to relocate or do you have any plans on moving anywhere else to, are you one of those people that wants to homestead or you want to move to El Salvador or just switch it up? So I always say if I'm leaving DC, I'm leaving the country. Okay. Um, so, uh, El Salvador is the move at the moment. Um, maybe in the future there'll be other places that are operating like El Salvador and there'll be more options. But, you know, if we had to flee for some crazy reason, the goal would be to get there um, and then get. I think a lot of people would have that, that, that in their mind is like a plan B or a plan C or something. Well, I mean, Bitcoiners, yes. Yeah, that's what like, I mean. Yeah. If you yeah. tell a non bitcoiner no, sure. your escape plan is El Salvador. No, what? They're just like, all right, let, let them go. <laughs> so let them go. That kind of leads me to a, a point that I wanted to make just to um, recommend other people check out your podcast is that it, if you listen to this show very often or just a lot of other uh, Bitcoin centric podcasts, it's we get so used to talking to each other and talking to other Bitcoiners that are kind of as crazy and passionate about it as we are that uh, if you're an outsider looking in, listening to the conversation, you're like, these people are crazy. But um, your podcast is, is not like that. So it's you guys, you've been going on this journey and especially the stuff I, I listen to lately, it's just you talk about it in such a, an informed and passionate way, but like still at just this level that is just so, uh, it's reasonable. It's like di digestible. And I think that it's because of what you do. It's you're talking to your wife who's not, um, you know, wasn't all in like you. She's not necessarily the, um, the hardcore crazy Bitcoiner. And I think that there's like I, the point I mentioned earlier, if you're, if you're struggling with whether it's orange pilling other people, or orange pilling your partner, your wife, your girlfriend, uh, listening, having them listen to your podcast would be a great way to do it. And it's also a great uh, blueprint for how do I approach this topic and really get into the the passion and the weeds, right? But like not scare the, you know, what's the meme? Don't scare the hose. And it's, and, and it's, and it's, uh, it just to have, and it's not just your, your girlfriend or your, your partner either. It's like, any other person if you're struggling with orange pilling it's like listen to what you guys your conversations and it, it's um it's doable you just people are learning how to communicate to uh people outside their tribe 
And it's in the name too. Mm-hmm. It's it's a hundred percent in the name. Yeah, it's in the branding. Oh God, God, that 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 was so nice. That oh man, that was nice. Thank you. <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. I was I was really thinking about. It. I was like, I need to make uh, make my girlfriend listen to this because I I don't know how to to talk to her about. It. I mean, we talk about it, but it's just I get so I go crazy. Yeah, uh, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't. You seem to just be able to, to keep smooth that focus. Up. Yeah, you're you're smooth talker. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I have a couple of things going for me that I think make it easier for me to do this. Right. So the first one is, as I said earlier, um, I used to do stand up comedy. Yeah. I did stand up comedy for like seven, eight, nine years. Wow. Um, another one. An- another one what? That's a theme of just, the you just keep defining stand-up comedians. And I, 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 oh, I, did open, I did open mics. We've had plenty of, of yeah, guests here yeah. who have done it, or some some have done it for years too. Well, I feel like if you're going to start a podcast or be part of a podcast show, like you've done some form of like regular public performance. Sure. Right. Um, so I feel like there's a high probability that you're going to have a lot of comics in that, in yeah. that group. And you're, t- and, um, and you're able to tailor, um, you're able to tailor the message and the content to the audience. Exactly. And so as a person who was more of a crowd work person, um, it's all about just playing off of people's responses, reactions, while always still having like the message that you're trying to drive home. Yeah. Right. And so I think stand-up comedy or improv even to a greater extent is a very important skill to have in general, but also uh, as a communicator, right? Because fundamentally we're like science communicators, right? Um, or at least monetary communicators. Uh, but the other one that I don't give him enough credit for this uh, is my dad. So my dad is a realtor. And I've listened to my dad try to explain to people who didn't understand something how to buy a house. My dad worked with this one guy for, I want to say, seven years before he bought a house. And so I've listened to my dad explain the same things to people over and over and over again in various ways, just trying to get his point across using, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a metaphor. Can I draw you a play? Right? Like you just, you're just trying to get your information across. And you're trying to understand how they ingest information. And the biggest thing for my dad and, and for Bitcoiners, because real estate and Bitcoin, I think one is just the old guard and Bitcoin's the new guard. But like, you're really trying to convince someone to invest in themselves. And you're trying to find the thing that will make them want to invest in themselves. So, for me, for example, if I'm talking to someone, uh, we had a plumber come over the other day and he, on the way out, showed me a painting that he had done. We have a painting on our wall. Um, it's actually a rug, but it looks like a painting. And he commented on it. He was like, and this is what I painted. And it was beautiful. Like I'm 100%, it was beautiful. And he made the comment that someone offered him like $20,000 to buy it. And he was like, I don't want to sell it. Like it took me like two years or whatever. And I was like, hold on one second. 
And I went in the basement and I grabbed my many cop one of my many copies of the Bitcoin standard. And I go upstairs and I'm like, here's what you do. You sell that painting, you buy Bitcoin, and you read this book. And he was like, kind of stunned. But I but then I like, okay, let me why why would you do that? Okay. Do you want to be a plumber forever? Selling this plane, selling that yeah, selling this painting might help you become a painter. It might give you that time to do that. And he kind of was like, okay, why are you saying this? How do you know this? And then I'm trying to explain to him, what if, what if I told you that the richest people in the world are all about to start buying all the Bitcoin they can get their hands on next week? Wouldn't you want some of what they're about, to, what they're buying? And he was like, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, they're buying this and they're not going to tell you until they bought it all. <laughs> so read this book, sell that painting and buy this Bitcoin. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And so he was going to have to come back possibly. So when I called him to like reschedule him to come back, I'm like, did you read the book? And he was like, okay. So I'm like two chapters in. And I got a lot of questions and I was like, I'll answer your questions when you come fix my pipes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so now I forget what's in the first two chapters of the book, but like something clicked with him. And so now the next time I can, I can get him to hopefully finish the book and hopefully sell the painting and hopefully buy the Bitcoin. And then he'll have a great story to tell his grandkids about, man, if I had it, I wasn't going to go to that house that day. I was going to send Greg, but you know, I, I just, I had to take that job. There was it. And that's why we have all this Bitcoin kids, yeah. right? Like you, I hope that there's a lot of stories like that. Yeah. You, you said something about, um, Bitcoin like helps you believe in yourself. And I, I have a, what my take on it is that, um, be, people think that Bitcoin eliminates trust because you don't need trustless third parties. Bitcoin doesn't eliminate trust. What it does is it teaches you that, um, you don't need to trust third parties, but you need to trust yourself. And once you can trust yourself, that's when you take take control of your life. You start to believe in yourself. That's when everything kind of changes. And I think that's kind of, in my opinion, what hyper-Bitcoinization really is. I don't think it's there's this destination where the whole world is on the Bitcoin standard and everybody's orange-pilled and has a, a, a poster of safety in their bedroom. <laughs> yeah, hyper-Bitcoinization is like a, a, personal, is a personal journey where once you, tr you stop trusting the state, trusting the system and start to believe in yourself. Um, that's the world. You start to see it through an orange tinted lens. 100%. Um, that's, so that's a great example of how I got one of my friends into Bitcoin. So he was like dabbling in it or whatever. And he kind of like, let it slip. He goes, you know, I got some Bitcoin. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, let's talk. Let's talk. Um, where'd you buy it? And he goes, Robin Hood. And I go, all right, so you don't have Bitcoin, number one. Number two, we're going to get you Bitcoin. And, you know, he, he was like, what do you mean I don't have Bitcoin? I was like, I'll explain it to you later. Follow these steps. And so I got him to take the Bitcoin off of the exchange and it was on his like software wallet phone app, right? Okay, man. If you lose your phone, if you mess this up, you will lose all your money, right? And he's like, wait, what? And I'm like, but it's not hard. You can do this. 
right? Like you can do this. We do a lot of crazier things than remembering 12 words and storing it in a safe and doing some re relatively trivial things, right? Like we can do this. I used to have to remember like 17 phone numbers, my grand, <laughs> my aunt, my mom, right. oh, you know what I mean? And so like, I just, but I just kept saying like, this is the trade-off. Like if you want the benefits of Bitcoin, you have to trust that you can hold your own Bitcoin. And if you don't trust that you can hold your own Bitcoin, you're always going to be subject to the whims of Celsius or, you know, the rugs, whoever's going to, whoever's going to rug you the next day. Yeah. I think the ETFs are the next rug, but we'll see. Um, uh, but like now he's very confident. He doesn't think about it. He moves, he can move Bitcoin around. It's like, you got to believe that you're not this error prone machine that is incapable of basically sending an email. <laughs> and like, yeah, you don't need JP Morgan to, to manage your money. You don't. You don't need Jeffrey Epstein's uh, banker. Yeah. Epstein's banker. That's, that's a, we need to keep that trending forever. That's great. That's cool. Um, but the, the like trust and the trust in third parties is something that I think we all just took for granted for a very long time. And something needs to happen that will shatter your trust before you'll even start looking for an alternative. And uh, I've talked about this on the pod, but for me, the thing that like codified me was the Canadian protest. Like, say what you will about the Canadians, but they're not known to be violent people. Uh, and I'm watching them like get beat and like stomped on my horses. And I was like, wait a minute, that's Canada. That's not, that's not where that's supposed to happen. Right. And then you watch that whole thing play out and it's like, yep, they, they will do that to anybody. Like it doesn't matter. Like if Canada will do that to their citizens, nobody is safe. And just watching what the Bitcoiners were doing, trying to get money into the truckers and stuff like that and how that all played out, just watching the reaction of the state to these protesters was enough for me to be like, I can't be with the state. Like there's, I'm watching this with my own eyes. They're objectively doing nothing wrong and being peaceful. Like this is the state under the right crises. This is the state. So right. I'm out. Yeah, if you, if you just, if your incentives or if your just situation just gets, I mean, you could even be somebody who is normally a law-abiding citizen. You you kind of do everything by the book. That that status of law-abiding citizen, you could do literally nothing, and that could just you could wake up one day and be on the other side of that. And if you are, then boom, your bank accounts might be compromised and shut down. I mean, you might. It might be like, you know, the Will Smith movie from the nineties, enemy of the state. You know, you're just, you're on the run from that. Right. And it, and, it, and it may be a mistake and maybe they'll figure that out, but you might already be in jail or you might have already spent all your life savings in court. So, um, yeah. you gotta be, you gotta think about those things. It's not, it's not fun, but it can happen. I think we're seeing, I think if you're paying, like pen, paying attention to the news in the world every day lately, I think it's seeming less and less, um, unrealistic that that kind of thing could could happen at some point in the future yeah i i think we're 
think we're in a really interesting spot and the fact that we have Bitcoin is very hopeful that we didn't have alternatives in the past. There really wasn't, there wasn't an alternative to the system. It was just who's in charge of the system. And right. so with Bitcoin, if you're looking for an alternative, you at least have an alternative to choose. Right. That alone is like hopeful that you could one day overcome this oppressive force that you're, that is becoming more oppressive. Yeah. I mean, I guess to sum it up, I would just say, stop worrying about everything you see on the news. Just trust yourself, bro. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Ian, uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation, um, but I probably want to respectful of your time, especially it's probably late over there. So why don't you, I definitely want to talk to you again, but can you talk, you know, tell us a little bit about your podcast, you know, what's coming up and, where people can find you. Yeah, where people can find you, all that stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Um, before I do that, I want to say I really like your guys' website. Oh, cool. Like, I love <laughs> the aesthetic, right? I love it. Like, I just went on there today to, like, you know, establish the mindset. And I, I just, I've been meaning to say that all episode. I wanted to start with that, but I'll, I'll end with that. Like, I love your website. It's one of the best Bitcoin websites I think I've seen. Uh, it's all Mike. He designed it. Mike. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, as far as like our podcast, uh, you can find the website at flirtingwithbitcoin.com. Uh, we do weekly episodes. Uh, we're on a little hiatus right now. We're going on vacation for a couple of weeks. Um, but we will be starting up season three. Uh, I don't keep changing my, my like, title that I want to use, but I think it's going to be more having related. So probably the having or I'll take half or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and so we should have that like out February ish. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, flirting with BTC, uh, Instagram flirting with Bitcoin. Allegedly we're on TikTok, flirting with Bitcoin. Um, uh, <laughs> we're on Noster, uh, I don't know how to like give out a master pub key. We'll uh, put that in the show, notes. but yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, yeah, this has been a really fun. I, I agree, dude. Agree, totally agree. This is like I had like still seven other questions I wanted to get to. Get to talk to Bitcoiner Bitcoiners. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we'll definitely have to have you on again. Uh, maybe next time. You'd get your wife on too, and we'll get her perspective on some of this stuff. I'll I'll send I'll send her in by herself. There you go. <laughs> They're cool Perfect. people. That's, That's the That'd be an interesting dynamic to see the better. Cool. Well, I'll cut. Thank you again for listening to the High Hash Rate Podcast with Dan and Mike. If you want to learn more about the podcast and see what we're up to, you can find us at highhashrate.com. Or if you just want to speak to a couple of baked 80 IQ plebs, reach out to us at hello at highhashrate.com. Or you can reach out to us at the high hash rate handle on X. Later, everybody. Holy Toledo!